0: I'm David Proval. I played Richie April on The Sopranos. You're listening to Pada Bing.
1: I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos, one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pada Bing on Instagram. Also, I'm excited to tell you about The Sopranos Sessions, a new book that comprehensively revisits the show and nicely coincides with the 20-year anniversary of the amazing series. We're giving away several copies of the book. If you're interested in getting one, tag @poda_bing Bing in a Soprano-centric Instagram story. We'll be announcing winners in the coming weeks, so stay tuned. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this amazing and surreal journey. I can't believe I'm saying this, This is a conversation I had with David Proval, who played Richie Aprile on the show. David joined me in studio for a lengthy conversation about his career, the importance of Richie Aprile, and the creative and unrivaled force that was The Sopranos. If you're new to the podcast, this might be news, but longtime listeners know that I love the character of Richie and David Proval's masterful presentation of him. It was some of the best acting and series of exchanges we'll ever see with James Gandolfini. It truly felt like two heavyweights in the ring together when they shared the screen. This conversation elated me on so many levels, and I'll never forget it. It was an honor and privilege to spend time with David, and it's my treat to be able to share it with you now. So here it is, my conversation with David Provalo. David, thank you for being here.
0: Yes, thank you for asking me.
1: So, 125 acting credits and counting, and that doesn't include theater. How many? 125 IMDb, TV and film combined, not including theater. Well, enough's enough, isn't it? Well, what have been some of your personal favorite roles?
0: Of course, Richie is on top one at the top of the list, and Pablo Hummel, stage character I played, Pablo Hummel, a great David Ray play, um, one of the great anti-war, anti-Vietnam plays ever written, and maybe the greatest, I think, play, never turned into a movie. But I got the opportunity to play Pablo Hummel, 1974 in Los Angeles, on stage. Um, of course, <laughs> Tony and Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets wasn't a bad way to begin a film career. It was... Um, being a part of film history uh, is fun.
1: Um, mean Streets was your first acting role. First
0: film acting role. I had done theater, but... Uh, and I had done... A, won a television show... I did an American Motors TV commercial in front of camera and an industrial film.
1: (laughs) It's quite the repertoire. How
0: to to fix a broken arm. I was the guy with the broken arm. How to (laughs) set a broken arm. And I was the lead. I was the broken arm. Amazing. Yeah, it was great.
1: (laughs) How did Mean Streets happen? What's the backstory to that?
0: It's a very interesting backstory, actually. I, I was a member of an acting group who met four times a week with um, revolving moderators, and uh, one being John Voigt, who was a member of the group. Martin Scorsese was uh, interested in John uh, in, for Mean Streets. And John had referred me to play the other role. He, they wanted him for the Kaitel role, and John wanted me to play the De Niro role. And that went away. John went away, and he decided, hey, that's not something
1: I'm
0: interested in. And months later... Was it, and the about, g-
1: was it the genre?
0: It was... here To quote him, I'll never forget what he had said to me. We were... Fellow students in an acting class, and he had already done Midnight Cowboy, so he had already established himself. And he uh, said to me, "I'm not going to dye my hair black and break my nose for your career, David." <laughs> Which I understood completely. I said, "I got it." He didn't think he he, he would. Be, and his his advice to he was, "Get unknown faces." For this movie. This is a movie you should not have recognizable, and he was already a recognizable face.
1: Why was that his advice?
0: Uh, because of the nature of the film and the genre and the movie, and the first, Martin Scorsese was not yet Martin Scorsese, and De Niro was not quite De Niro yet, on, on the way to being De Niro, and Harvey had not done did one movie for Marty, and
1: so having somebody. That was a known quantity would kind of take away. Take away
0: from exactly.
1: Interesting. Which which
0: uh, that's nothing new. I mean, right now I know that there are roles I would like to do, and I've been hearing over the years since Sopranos recognizable, recognizable, can't have them in there. It's distracting to Sopranos, Soprano viewers. And I did only one season. So can imagine if I had done six, or anybody had done six. You're attached to that. And that's the price of that. And that has always been the price of that. It's not a terrible price to pay. It really isn't. So people, oh, they got me pigeonholed, you know, like, well, yeah, but go do some work and overcome it.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. <sighs> oh, so much to, again. That, this that's is, the first story. You got. Yeah. Well, no, this you is. got a this, million stories. Well, I'm, I'm here as long as you'll have me. So, um, oh, okay. so. How did The Sopranos happen for you? I know that there's stuff out there, and maybe you can validate or or corroborate some of it, that you you, you were an original choice for Tony Soprano. Not
0: quite, no. And I had heard that, and I said, who said I was the choice? I wasn't a choice. I had read, yes. Okay. But no, I was not. uh, I was maybe early running, but I had done work for David before that, which I found out on The Sopranos. David was a writer on the Rockford Files. Did you know that? Yeah. I did a show. Where I did the lead character with James Garner. And David had seen the work on that show that he had written. I didn't know that. And one day in the uh, van going to location, or maybe it was really early up, I heard David mention a character he had written by the name of Joe Hap Adamo. And I turned... He was behind me, and I said, wait a second, I played a character named Joe Hapadamo. He said, I know, I wrote it. And I didn't know that he had written it. <laughs> I, and I said, oh, yeah, of course. He said, you didn't know that. And I said, no, I, whatever, I babbled or mumbled or, you know, uh, hubba, hubba, hubba to him. Uh, but I didn't know. But that's where he first saw my work. Uh, okay. Not first saw it. He knew me, Mean Streets, and then I had done that for him, and that's how that came to be.
1: So did he call you up personally and say, "Come no. and read for the Sopranos"?
0: No, I went in. Okay, you went no, in. No, no personal call through no. casting. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, no, not through walking, George and walking. Yeah. And Sheila Jaffe were the casting people. Right. It wasn't through them. Okay. That I do know, by the way. Good question. I just learned something. I just reminded myself. No, it was through David then. Okay. It was his, I was on his list. You're
1: on his list. For Richie or for something else? No,
0: for Tony Soprano. Okay. I went and I read. And I read the pilot and I thought it was amazing. And I thought they were approaching something. Uh, with The Godfather and Mean Streets, I don't think of as a mafioso movie. I, I, it's not, it's about you're struggling with your spirituality. It's yeah. Not, nothing to do with mob. I don't know why they called it a mob. They
1: definitely put it in that bundle for some reason. It's not at all. Yeah. Zero. Yeah.
0: But um, the pilot was amazing. And that night I was at I was Mama Gucci's, uh, uh, um, that night. Yeah, I had read read it that afternoon, was at Mother Gooch's buying some fruit. That was a vegetable store or something. And there was Chaz Palantari. And he says, hey, I do not you know, I had worked with him on a John Landis film. And yeah, he said, did you hear about this thing, this psychiatrist thing with a mob guy? And the... I said, yeah. I was in that afternoon figuring that, hey, you know, he said, what are they, nuts? <laughs> and I hope he hears this, Chaz, because I remember it clearly. He said, yeah, they made me an offer.
1: They called him, too. Right. He didn't know that? No.
0: Well, he said it was an offer, and I think it was. For Tony? Right.
1: At that point, it was Tommy Soprano.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah. HBO made him an offer.
1: Oh, HBO? HBO wanted him. Okay.
0: Because already he had... Um,
1: HBO wanted a known quantity. Frank's Tale. Yeah.
0: And David... Uh, David saw it, met with... I guess. I don't know, I wasn't there, but right. there was a breakfast meeting, supposedly, with Jimmy, and David was convinced that it was going to be uh, James Galdifini, which was uh, in the moment his life... Changed when he decided that it should be James Gallifini.
1: Well, both of their lives,
0: because yeah. But without James, I don't think there's a second season that powerful. Uh Writing was wonderful. David's terrific writing for a great idea. I loved the writing. I said, you know, I read, read it and loved it. Yeah. But when I saw it and saw James Gallifini, it was astonishing. What he did and what he brought, this big, fantastic actor, number one. Number two, what the guy himself had, that kind of trust, a sensitivity, a leader. The the actor himself had all that within him. I mean, that's not about acting. That's about who you are. And it, it was perfect. It was perfect.
1: So, the the show starts, the pilot's shot, and, and it becomes a success. There's a lot of time lapse between um, episode one and episode two, and then most people already know that the entire season was in the can before the public ever saw it because of timing and logistics and whatever. When do you come back in uh, to the picture for the role of Richie?
0: Oh, well, that was... I happened to be in New York. Um, why I... Just happened to be there doing something, and I got called in to read for The Sopranos. This time, it was like you know a, a regular kind of. The cattle call reading, which I didn't want to go on, I remember telling my agent, come on, the guy knows me, and if he wants me, he wants me. If he doesn't want me, God bless us all.
1: Cattle call meaning there's like a bunch of Richies lined up in the room. Right.
0: Okay. Cousins Club is what really what I call it. You look around, everybody looks like a cousin, you know. And uh, you would be reading for Richie now. I <laughs> This 18 years ago, so uh, I didn't want to go on one of those, no. And uh, this is you're crazy if you don't because you didn't follow the season. I just saw the pilot and I didn't follow the season. The first season, didn't follow it.
1: Any reason why?
0: I think probably because I was not wanting to sit there green with envy and wanting to be part of it and...
1: Did you did you know? Early I don't think on, I intentionally
0: did that. I don't know why I didn't watch it.
1: Maybe I didn't have HBO. <laughs> you know. No, but it's also human nature to, you know, like it was. It don't was there. rub it in. It yeah. was there for the taking. But did you feel like it was going to be what it became the, early From on? The,
0: the pilot, I thought it was going to take off, and they didn't. HBO, I don't, you know the story. They didn't know they had a show. They Didn't think they had a show. They were all waving the white flag. We don't have a show, and then they gave them like seven shows, and they worked and whatever.
1: Yeah, no, it had it had been shopped around to Fox as like a more watered down version, mm. um, and th- and then apparently there was a there was a moment in time where uh, David Chase was going to take another job or the HBO thing was going to happen, and it all I mean this is all the stuff that you see and hear and read, and it just sort of like the Hollywood true Hollywood story. They HBO called and said let's do it. So, mm. so how many other Richies were on the table?
0: Jimmy Russo. Uh, when I here's what happened, I went in and read for Joanne, and she said, uh, "Okay, um, w- 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 where is where do you live? Uh, are You here in, in New York?" I said, "No, I'm I'm in L.A." And she said, oh, um, okay. And I said, all right, it's a local hire. I know the game. I know this thing. And I, I, I went home and got a call. Would you go back and read? I said, go back where? Is she in town? They said, no, she's there in New York. And They won't fly you. And I flew myself. I said, I'm going to chase this.
1: So you acquiesced to your agent to, do the, to go and do the, the, yeah, the cattle call? Yeah, I said, call.
0: I'll go. No, it was no longer. It was down to me and, like, another guy, they said. So well,
1: you originally didn't go. You let the cattle call run its course, and then they still wanted you.
0: I, did, I didn't. I went when I was in New York, met with your Georgian, went back to L.A. They called me back to come in, and I went back in to meet again. There were three meetings on this role, and I didn't. They had um, plans for it, obviously. And I left again, not knowing whether I was going to. went back to LA and they called me again. And this was the third call back, and the agent said, Look, I think they'd have merely. And then when I went back, there I was with Jimmy Russo and a great actor who's no longer with us, who was on the. I forgot her name. Her show just came back on the air again, the beautiful blonde. Bergen, Candice Bergen.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, Murphy Brown.
0: He was on that show. Really terrific actor, though. This actor, Robert Pastorelli. Okay. And Jimmy Russo. Two terrific actors. I walk in to the Nabisco, you know, Silver Cup Studios, and there they are. And then I say, what am I doing to myself? What are they doing to me? I can't stand this. Uh, I'm enraged with all of it, you know, and the whole process, the whole audition madness. And I go in there, and I'm lit with anger. I knew what I was feeling. And there they were, HBO. Ten people. Suits. Suits, and I said, okay, so they're down to three guys, and as far as I was concerned, those two guys were far righter than I was for this role. I'll tell you, you're what.
1: just being modest.
0: No, no, I knew the work. No, one guy, did, I, I and then and Pastorelli, I had seen him not only on that show because that wasn't, I saw him in a movie and he was terrific, and he had already been done the show, and the deep beep beep, he was. Already, uh, you know, a star on television. And Russo, I knew him and his reputation and his work. And his look, I thought, was better. I mean, you know, that's what we all do. I guess we, I don't know. Maybe I, my, my, my wife tells me I'm the only one who does that. I'm the only one who says, no, the other guy is writer than me. She says, you do it all the time. So maybe I'm nuts. Okay. But I do do it a lot. Anyway, uh, I do. Um, so here we are, three guys at the Silver Cup Studios. There they are, the suits. There it is, a first season of a fantastically um, amazing hit show we know already. And I'm like burning. I'm burning. I'm just, okay, I'm going to go in and do this. Well, Uh, that was the right place to be. (laughs) Because what they said was, one guy in the room, two guys in the room told me, when you walked out of the room, um, uh, they all said, do we feel safer right now that he's out of the room?
1: Did you have like the natural Manson lamps? I don't know
0: what, I hate that. I, I don't know what was going on with me, but all I knew was I didn't give a shit. I didn't care whether I got this. I just cared. I'm going to get my... I I flew here, and I took a subway here, a subway car that got stuck in the middle of two stations. I thought I was late for this audition. I was in the middle of two cars, ready to jump off a subway train to get to Silver Cup Studio. No, I'm serious. This is my route to And these guys, I'm going to have my time in this room, and I'm going to let it happen. And I knew what happened in the room, and I read with Jimmy. They called him up to read with me, which they didn't do before. He just came up to read with me, and then I said, whoops, okay. And he came in, and I remember reading with him, and then they said, just go, whatever you want to do. And we broke into this improv that I thought was terrific. Jimmy was great, and he was (laughs) incredible in the improv. What did
1: you guys talk about?
0: was wearing a particular shirt I wore for the audition, and it was Italian knit, but it was it was tacky, it was garish, it was you know a little bit and he uh, mentioned something about my shirt, and I said, you, you have a problem my, you don't like my shirt?" He said, "No, I like it Rich. I, you're wearing a great shirt." I said, "No, no, no, you don't like this shirt." And we went into it, the whole thing about the shirt that was they were terrified that I was about the shirt. And uh...
1: they saw Richie right then.
0: Yeah, they saw it. They saw what I thought I was entitled to, um, and, and what Richie was entitled to.
1: That's so fascinating. You just you took a question away from me, but in, in a beautiful, eloquent way. Like, is there any David Proval in, in Richie? And when you got there,
0: at that point there was because. I had done my work over the years, and I'd proven myself as an actor. And I thought they were making me jump hoops that were um, disrespectful to a veteran actor. More than disrespectful. I, 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 I thought, what the fuck has this come to? With these kids who weren't born when I did Mean Streets. And when I looked at them, I said they were three years old when I did Mean Streets, and now you're sitting there and telling me what's right about this. I'm wow! No,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: well, you're Italian, so
1: <laughs> no, I'm actually Indian.
0: Oh, I thought you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. No, it's,
1: it's really, it's, I get, I get a lot of heat for being an Indian guy who's hosting a Soprano retrospective, but you know what? (laughs) I love it. It's an immigrant story, you know, it's a, it's a story about family. It's Mm. a story about the mothers and, uh, their sons and daughters and fathers and their sons and daughters. And on many levels, it's very relatable. Um, and, uh, for me and for a lot of the people that still watch it again, I'm 37, uh, I have two kids the reason we still watch the show is because it's a timeless story yeah uh, it's a, it's an, it's a slice of American life absolutely uh the mafia is ancillary in many ways
0: so yeah that was that was the road f- fed me uh, as an actor and feeling entitled to as Richie did felt w- where were they uh, now that he had spent his ten years in you remember he came out of prison for Yeah, 10 years, 10 years of, in the can. And did what you're supposed to do. And so where is my...
1: When yeah. I first spoke to you on the phone, I, uh, I wanted to talk to you so badly because, and again, I can't, this is so, so surreal that we're doing this right now, but I really love the character of Richie. I feel like he was a stand-up guy. Um, yeah. And there's this whole cohort of people that he was like, you know, he was Tony's antagonist and whatnot, but everything that Richie did was... To the end, he had a couple—he wanted to—him and uh, Junior wanted to collude. That was at the very end, though, but the final—his final episode. But other other than that, he took everything on the chin, Mm. you know? And he did everything by the book. And some of the greatest lines, I think, of the show, you know, you got to say is, Richie, what's mine is not yours to give me. Yes. Such a powerful line. That line. That line— Got a
0: great ear. You're an actor, are you? No. That line fed me and fed me and fed me. Yeah. You're not here to give me what's already mine. Oh, God, I love it. It's an amazing line. And the other line that fed me was the line before Beansy got hit with the coffee cup when I asked Beansy a question about how much he earns at this pizza parlor. Yeah. And he said, well, it's a grind, was his response. And I say to him, but that's not what I asked you. Yeah. (laughs) And I know guys, they're very bright guys, these guys. You know, they're they're not kind of dumb mugs. Right. They know exactly what they're saying. They're great interrogators when they need money from you. Of course. They're very smart and very cunning. And uh, I knew what I asked them, and I love that line. That line always fed me.
1: The other line that I, that I love that, again, I perseverated about it on the, on the show, with, on the, with the episode that uh, Richie says it, is uh, where he goes to David Scatino's sporting goods store to collect, and he Stamped. says, I know... It's just a stutter step. You have a little bit of saliva in your mouth there. And I can't... I, again, this is what this is the upset level of obsession that we have with the fans of the show still. Was that intentional? <laughs> because no, you, because know what happened you almost day? look like you're... It, it almost looks like he's going to jump out of his mouth right. and just gr- strangle David Scatino. And it's all because of the line in that little piece of saliva. Do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah. No. And that's about what I know it's at stake and what this guy... What, what, what he's... His manipulation and what it cost me. Yeah. And the insult. The insult.
1: One week it's light, the next week it's just kick the can down the road. <laughs> Again, fascinating, brilliant lines. And then the follow-up to that, which I'm just... I've been so curious about for the better part of 10 years, and you're the only one who can answer it. So, Richie was very active and demonstrative with his hands, okay? In many ways, the hands were the focal point. And I've said... The hands deserved an Emmy. Any thoughts or insights about the use of your hands as the
0: character Richie? You no, know, listen. You know, um, I, it, it's that's. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn, of course. Yeah. And grew up around Italian Jewish, and uh, um, what that body language is about. And uh, you know as well as I do, being uh, of ethnicity, um, particular ethnicities have their uh, and I don't even remember preparing any of that, but I was told over the years that we love the way you—you know—even the way you used your hands. And I would say, "What are they talking about?" I really didn't know, but it was about so it was an occupying character. I don't. It wasn't direction. You don't see it today, do you? No, no, I don't. I don't. But when I allowed myself to that character. That I knew so well, by the way, it's not something I grew up around him, I was related to him, <laughs> you know I, I knew that guy, yeah, so it just I it just it's a piece of clothing you put it on. that's one of the things that you know actors stick, yeah, yeah, you don't know where it comes from when it, when it's right, you don't know sometimes when it's right, you're working out of your subconscious.
1: There you go. Yeah, because you, you probably heard this question a million times, and I feel like it's such a cliche question to ask an actor. Like, how do you how do you get into the character? How do you get into Richie? And, and it is it is a subconscious thing. You said it beautifully. I mean, it's not even worth right. asking because it's you're just spending.
0: I hate the getting
1: into. Yeah. When people say
0: that, it's it's, it's allowing,
1: it's exactly. inviting the thing to come to me. I don't... It's a personal relationship that you have with that character and no one else has. Exactly, And it's your, it's your process that you can't even really fully articulate, nor do you need to. Exactly. You know? Um, for me, Richie, and for me and many others, I should say, Richie was the template for the series going forward. Do you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. I'm sorry. It's, it's, yes. No, I... I don't know how it might sound.
1: No, no, no. It's, look, again, without Richie, there would be no Ralphie. And this is quite another question that I have, and it's it's been pieced together with David Chase interviews and with other people talking, and and all the books that have come out and all the scholarship on the show. Was Ralphie an apology for Richie? Like, do you feel like there was some executive regret on what happened to Richie? Well, he
0: has said it in, in interviews, and the, the toughest thing was for him to. Big Pussy and Richie were the two toughest decisions he made throughout the whole series. He never had a, you know, and it went back and forth. And what I was hearing the scuttlebutt on the set was that uh, HBO wanted to keep Richie and move him to Philadelphia, and Richie was going to have his crew in Philadelphia. And all this, you know, after they saw the dailies and saw the... uh, what I was doing with the character. And David said, no, 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 no. this is not a spin-off show. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is not, not going to happen. And, Interesting. Uh, he would not. And I respect that. And uh, Do I respect it? Well, I, I, I would have loved for him not to be so, such a purist <laughs> yeah. at my expense, <laughs> but uh, I, I do respect it. I do. I, I, but he's making a movie now,
1: is he? Doing a prequel. Um, the Many Saints of Newark. Dickie Multasanti, according to what is, re- you know, published in Deadline and all the other places, outlets out there. Um, it's going to be Christopher Multasanti's dad. Um, loosely based on The Sopranos crew. Oh, So you appeared in 11 episodes of season two and then a dream sequence in a later season. Um, looking back, what do you remember? One of the fun things about doing this, by the way, being so far removed from the show, is... You've had a lot of life in between, and you've had a lot of time to reflect. Looking back, what do you remember the most about that experience? Those 11 episodes and that time and the indelible character that you left behind?
0: Um, it was the only time for me that I was ever, well, for a lot of people, for all of us, to be on a show that wasn't just a show but a show that was stepping into a a, a new um co- new television concept a new way of um doing television shows HBO came up with it in the sopranos i think that was the beginning of of uh uh, the, the other shows, the Gilligan, what's his name? Um,
1: uh, Breaking Bad.
0: Breaking Bad, or those Vince shows. Vince Gilligan. And I to be in something that's innovative, that you felt that we were there, we were doing the groundbreaking, we were we were taking chances. I mean, they already had the girls on, but nowhere near what we were doing. No. Uh, what no, doing.
1: Uh, David Chase has even said on record that the, the whole idea why he thought this concept could work in a medium of HBO is that it would allow you on an episodic basis to explore the women in the lives of these characters, whereas a yeah. movie, for, to a large extent, it's a, the four corners of it are much more limiting. Mm-hmm. And the women are the, the Livia character, the children Meadow and and obviously uh, Janice, Janice and uh, Carmella, Carmella, and Doctor Melfi. There's more women in the show when you think about it. In terms of looking back, and, and Mom,
0: the first two three seasons, how many Nancy seasons? Marchand?
1: Yeah, she uh, she passed away in season three. I think she's only in one episode of season three.
0: Being a part of something that you knew that, uh, and it was the same thing with Mean Streets with me. I knew I was in front of somebody—a director that was. He knew something some other people didn't know. That's and I knew nothing about f- watching a director on a set or what. But there was something about him that looked like he was dealing. He was he was operating in in another kind of um, rarefied air. I don't know how to put it. it it's just uh, an artist at his best, and I saw. Something in him, I'm sure if I would have... There's great other film directors, uh, you know, Bertolucci and and all the great film directors. But uh, for Francis Coppola, I've never... I've been on a Francis Coppola set, not as an actor, as a visitor, but... And and it'll have that tone to it, too. Francis Coppola's Godfather Two set. There's something about with these... The captain, the director, the tone they set. And you just feel everybody's on their best Actors, makeup, wardrobe, everybody's doing the best they can do and doing great work. And that's David Chase. He said, he said, perfection in that. And it was new. Everything was new. I never, that's what I remember about it. It was exciting.
1: I asked Michael Imperioli this question also, and you kind of led me there. Compare and contrast Scorsese and Chase
0: Oh, very different people. No, uh, see, Marty is um, roll-up sleeve in there with the guys. He's an actor, too. It's somewhat an actor. He, uh, He rolls up his sleeves and gets in there with you and is a great audience. You feel him watching, and when you hear, all right, cut, you look up, and there's always... A smile on his face. So, if there's not, then he's in there working. He's David's. Is a, for me, kept his distance. The only time I made contact with David was the first day I worked, and he gave me an amazing pieces of direction. What did he say? I wonder if he remembers this. He said, "We did the scene, and it wasn't bad. It was walking down the mall, talking about." whatever, with Jimmy. It was my first day. It was my first day. He was there. And he watched it. And he called me over and he whispered in my ear, you're smarter than all of them. You're smarter than all of them. And I said, I do think that. But he said, no, no. Richie's smarter than them. It was. It's not. It's not. It's a. It's a condition rather than a, a direction, but it, it fed me in a way where uh, it gave me so much to understand that about that uh, Richie's power and that he he he, he, uh, he and and the art of manipulation that it was, gave me something with the character that he was a manipulator that he he. Um, He toyed with people more than anything else. He gave me so much, and I once told him that. He says, that's exactly why I said it.
1: So interesting. I've read that he, um, one of the motifs of the Rockford files that carried over to The Sopranos is this idea that the protagonist is the smartest guy in the room always. That's the reason it works. And with Tony Soprano, he was the smartest guy in the room. And what you said so eloquently is that I've, It validates everything that I've been saying is that Richie's the one character in the show for me that was able to go toe to toe with Tony on a consistent basis. And even the size disparity, the (laughs) David and Goliath disparity, the camera tried really hard to diminish Richie in frames. But Richie, again, another fabulous line from the show he's got tremendous moxie for his size it's so true and it's interesting that you just said what you said because it validates that you know Richie is the smartest guy when he's dealing with Tony at least in his own head (laughs) yeah you know yeah
0: yeah Uh, right which uh, um, gave it uh, when Tony had lines like I don't know this guy just he drives me crazy you know I'm sorry to say he's going to be my brother-in-law he's he's nuts and that that stuff Uh, and that rang uh, 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 in, in a way, where you finally you saw uh, Tony in a weakened position. You didn't see him around the other guys. We no. never, no. But you saw him with Richie. Was always just I gotta. I with this guy. This Richie knew how to play with. Him. And don't give me those eyes. You know the the famous. Yeah. And uh, that's why you gave it to him. And I remember the day you gave him that line. I hated. I still hate the line because I hate.
1: Of the course, name.
0: of course. How can you not? Yeah. uh and uh, when he gave him, and Jimmy hated the line. Jimmy went, "Oh man!" Said, yeah. He said, "No, oh, it's, it's funny. It's funny." You know. He was taking a shot at me because uh, you were selling coke on the on the trash routes, right? In, in that, but also David. Um, I think it was after I was told him, and people forewarned me never to do this with David Chase, and I did it anyway. I thought there was a scene that was wrong for us to do and it was an aberrant sexual thing with holding a gun to, you know, that thing. That's And I said, uh, hey, listen, I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of half-assed wise guys and wise guys, and, and that stuff isn't done to Someone's fiance or you know a woman they supposedly respect, and I went to David, and David got really upset. and Jimmy forewarned me't no, no, don't, don't do it, don't do it." and I did it you know? I'm
1: stupid. It was stupid. Did that have anything to do with the character? Or was it?: I think he got angry I think
0: he got pissed at me, and I think Manson Lamps was his answer. I hated the line. He wrote that line after uh I went to him and I said he he and he said, Well we do, this is my vision. You don't like my vision is what he said to me. I mean you I said, No, yeah, I love the show. Yeah, I got you know, oh shit. So someone said, You're the guy who got Joe um the actor, his Emmy.
1: Joe Pantoliano?
0: Yeah. Someone said to me, you know the rumor about you is you got Joe Paglione as, uh, as Emmy, the Emmy you should have gotten. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so next done. year they gave it to him. Jimmy Gallifini called me when they announced them, and he said, you've been mugged. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Terrence Winter called me, said, you've been mugged. They both used the same phrase. I said, hey, I got a chance to be on a great show. And I really felt that way at the time.
1: Did you know about Richie's fate, what it would be? or was he Not weak? until
0: they got this. Well, yeah, I did. Uh, they kept saying they're going to get rid of him. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? And, so it was uh, in the ether. Tony Sirico, uh, you know Tony? Yeah. He says, I want to be the guy to kill. Uh, you know, he, he told me he went to David. Let me be the guy. He said, anyway, uh, he came up with what was perfect. And he said, the reason I did it because none of them could ever get you. None of them. So
1: David the, told you that
0: the only one who gets you is a woman.
1: So you approached the captain, and it didn't go well. But did you patch things up? Was that water under the bridge? I hope
0: so because I saw him at the a couple of years ago. Went to the vinyl. I did vinyl. Yeah. On, and I went, HBO. And I was at the uh, vinyl um, party, and David was there, and it was very warm. He was lovely. It was very emotional He was emotional. Yeah. And Marty was there that night. And I hadn't seen these guys in a hundred years. Yeah. And that was very sweet. I mean, I was there at the beginning for both of them. Yeah. Or actually.
1: Literally, for both of them. For both of them. Yeah.
0: At the beginning, second season. The, the, hey, are you a one trick pony? Can you do this again?
1: Sophomore slump?
0: Right. Right, and they did. They did it again, and they did it again and again. So they,
1: but, but Richie, I was there at the beginning. Richie's character is the reason there was no sophomore slump. I mean, the, the character without Richie and that that polarization for Tony wouldn't have been because you needed, in many ways, viewers needed more reasons to love him because you were starting to see his pathology and Richie sort of neutralized it in many ways and kind of brought you in closer to the character and you needed that, you needed that vehicle, so. Um, what's a memory or two you can share of your time with James Gandolfini?
0: I, um, well, I'm... Firstly, at the beginning, because of the nature of our characters, and the uh, antagonist, protagonist, uh, you know, Uh, that spills off stage too sometimes, and it took a while, and I got to know him, I got to know his dad, and uh, I I got to know the old soul, the guy was an old soul, He's a young man with an old soul, and a leader, and a sweetheart, and uh, So much, so much. That was a lot thrown at him through that show. A lot. And, uh... Well, what I remember is that... um, he was always... already knew the responsibility of success... In, this, in, in the world we live in, in this madness that we live in, where <laughs> this fame and fortune syndrome is... <laughs> people are poisoned by it. Got to be famous. Oh, let's go on the computer. Everybody's famous today. Everybody's. And uh, he had, uh, in spite of uh, uh, what we the obsessive compulsive (laughs) madness that we all have as artists, as the world we live in, he didn't escape that stuff. I don't think, you know, he's, but what he had was a, um, he had a particular kind of as one guy to another guy, you know, when a man loves a man, when, it's he's a man's man and a woman's man, and that's exactly what the guy was. A man's man. And uh even though younger than me, I thought of him as a contemporary, as a peer. I didn't think of him as a younger guy. Uh so he had strength and leadership.
1: Are you aware of the story that James pleaded to keep the Richie storyline going because he liked working with you so much.
0: Mm, well, he's he, yeah, he 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 said to me one night we were shooting a scene and he said put your hand on my shoulder. Would you do that in the scene? We're in a hospital room where we, when 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 uh
1: Christopher Christopher gets, gets,
0: gets it and I said okay, I got that. And he reached over and put his hand on mine when I did that. I came from behind him. He was sitting at the foot of Christopher's bed. And I came behind him and I put my hand on. And he reached up and did this. That's a master. Right? And they didn't come in tight on it because David watches everything. And they didn't shoot. They didn't cover it. They went from that I see. They so, saw it. And they didn't want him. It was to keep me on the show. It was, to, it was the kind of thing that 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 he wanted to show that um, Tony might have an understanding of Richie, that maybe the relationship is something changing. Maybe. And they didn't
1: want there to be any kind of warmth No. conveyed. No.
0: That's what I heard.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that.
0: That's yeah, right? It's tough business.
1: Were you? Did you go to the funeral?
0: I went to um, my father-in-law's funeral the same day. Oh, my gosh. In South Carolina. They both had their funerals on the same day. Tony's and my father-in-law's, yeah, same day.
1: How did you find out?
0: I was um, visiting a... F- my friend Karen Black, great actress, Karen Black, you know, she was in the hospital. She's no longer with us. She died last year. And she was fading. It was a terrible day. And she was sleeping, and I was waiting for her to wake up. I was in the lobby of this, and phone rings, and the guy says, David Proval, this is the New York Post. Uh, we want your reaction on uh, James Galifini's death. And you know what I said? fuck you and i hung up because you get calls people get your number and they play games with you you know and then it rang again they said no you don't understand this is really the new york post you want to check this out and i said well who is this? he gave me his name he said james galafini while well, i'm waiting to see another friend who's fading yeah i'm on the phone there this friend dies in Italy. Wow. Oh. Oh. no, I, 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 uh, I, uh, I did an interview once, and I couldn't get through the interview talking about him. I'm okay now, but yeah. I, I was really emotional about talking about him. And uh, it's hard not to love him. He's just a gentle heart. You would love him. Gentle, sweet.
1: What's been special about doing this? I got to say is that I. I ask, it's a very personal question to basically share an experience that you may or may not have been the only one that you you had as something unique. And I don't expect the actual juice to come out and see the air of of public light. But um, I've, it's been a privilege to be able to witness the responses to that question because I can feel in your heart and in your mind and in your eyes and in your face that there's a lot of stuff inside you that you're, you're keeping. Um, and uh, th- thank you for conveying it to me because I, I obviously will never get the chance to talk to him about his role as the character and uh, someone who played such an important part in my life as a fan, an admirer of his work. Um, did you watch the show in its entirety?
0: The seasons?
1: Yeah, the whole series. Yes, of course. You have?
0: Eventually, yes.
1: Have you seen a more conflicting ending either before or since the show?
0: No, never. I was home watching the last show, knowing it's the last show, and Cheryl and I were sitting and watching it, and the television went black. And I said, only to me. This can only happen to me. didn't know it was (laughs) not by banging the television sets. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was perfect. I thought it it couldn't be better.
1: Are you familiar with the three o'clock theory? No. In the same season that, you, that Richie was in, season two, actually when Christopher comes to from his shooting, he, he, he awakens and he tells Tony and Pauly that he had a dream and Mikey Palmisi and his friend Brendan Fallone were in the dream and that they told Tony and Pauly to watch out for the number three. And in the finale, the final sequence, you see the members only jacket go into the bathroom and he would come out of the bathroom at Tony's three o'clock. So have you heard that? Does that make any, does that No. Okay. I I keep asking it. It's a, it's very kind of facetious in a way because only person that knows is David Chase, right? That's what everybody says. But I just learned this three o'clock members only theory. I just, I just put the connection together. And if that's actually true, it's pretty, pardon my French, it's pretty fucking brilliant. Mm. Because one of the things that uh, David Chase has said at least three times is he wasn't trying to trick anybody. He wasn't trying to screw with anybody. He said, it's all there. I'm quoting him, it's all there in the show, the body of work. And if that's, if you extrapolate that, then that three o'clock seed was planted in season two. And um, I asked Michael Imperioli the same question and it equally blows him away. (laughs) And he wants to believe that the conductor of the orchestra had this magic. But sometimes when you're writing, as you know, you're in the business. It's not all thought in your mind, but it evolved. It's an evolutionary process. But if it was planned in the beginning, that's pretty amazing. You know, but we'll, we'll never know. If I ever get the chance to ask him that, I actually don't think I would ask him that because I probably won't get the answer.
0: Well, if I no? somehow bump with Michael or I bump into David, I'm going to tell him I talk to you and he, he <laughs> should talk to you and do your, your thing. Well, look. Your show. This, um. He should do this. Because thi- you're, you're, uh, I don't know, you're one of, I uh, don't how many people do what you do? Or done what you've
1: done. <laughs> I, you know what? It's it's truly and I I mean this as authentically as I can say it over and over again. This is just a love letter to the show.
0: It's um, amazing. Yeah.
1: My wife said to me um like When I started this company, I said, look, there's just one thing I want to do because there's current shows that are approaching us and like they want to do this companion content to keep the fans kind of like in a groundswell so they can find ways to monetize them. I said, before I do that about a show that I really don't give a shit about, I want to make a love letter to The Sopranos. And I said, I'm probably not going to make any money doing it. This is just purely, I'm not going to, I haven't sold any advertising yet. And she looked at me and I said, if you tell me not to do this, I, I won't do it. And she looked at me every, behind every guy, I should say, is a, uh, who gets anywhere is an Abigail Adams figure. She looked at me and she said, go do this, get it out of your system. And so that's why we're here today. Literally. And what Michael conveyed to me is that there's a lot of young people now that were too young to watch the show during its original airing. Watching it, yeah. Watching it now. And that's kind of what this is all about. Like, wait a second. Like, let's give respect where respect is due. Another line from the show, those who want respect, give respect. Um, I think that was said to you, to, to Richie. That's right. By Tony. But wow. anyway.
0: I do remember that line.
1: Great lines. The best lines between Richie and Tony. It really. I mean. Gems.
0: Gems. And he wrote it, you see, with the thing he said to me that day in that mall in New Jersey. Well, about being smarter. Then. Yeah. So he wrote it for the two guys he thought were the guys who were the smartest guys on the block. They totally
1: were. Yeah, and they totally were. Yeah. I'm going to say a name and you say the first word that comes to mind. James Gandolfini. Love. David Chase. Intense. Edie Falco. Sweet. Michael Imperioli. Pal. Dominic Canesi, Old friend. So like, like I mentioned at the beginning, 125 acting credits and counting. Mean Streets, Nunzio, Shawshank Redemption, The Siege... What do you know about acting and or the business now that you would have told your 20-something self?
0: Um, I, I tell this to my daughter, who's an actor. I'm three. My youngest is doing stand-up comedy up in Portland. What I say to her. The joy of the work, once, if that's there... God bless us all and keep going. When the joyfulness of the work, the joy of the work is not there, don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Run away from it because it will turn on you and it will only take from you and not nourish you. It will hurt you. People do it for the wrong reasons, is what I'm saying. For fame, uh, for celebrity. Yeah. Now everybody wants celebrity. The joy of the work is something they don't even understand. If I say this to a young actor say, like, the joy of the work—what work? What, 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 oh, yeah, it's fun. No, to be an artist, the joyfulness. I'm George O'Keefe, great artist. I'm I'm quoting some great artists, and it's the power, it's the motor of the artist, the joy of the work not the depression, not the Van Gogh in us, but the joy in us. And that's what I tell my daughter.
1: Is it something that you would do? This is like a modern day, sort of like self-help, a common refrain that people in my cohort and something that I'm going to tell my son when he's old enough one day to understand, like, what am I going to do with my life is kind of piggybacking off what you just said. Is it something that you would wake up in the morning and do for free? For a time, for a period.
0: Exactly, which I did, which every actor has done. Every artist has done.
1: And if you're not willing to actually do things for free, then you actually don't love it. Don't
0: love it, exactly. I got another way of putting it. Would you do it for free? I love what you just said.
1: Exactly. Some young person's going to hear this today and is going to want to aspire to have a career like yours. What are some factors that you attribute to your success?
0: Well, I... The firstly, the joy of work is what we just talked about, and I love what you just said. Uh, I won't do it for nothing anymore. That's, of course, that's been gone you a paid, long time. You paid your dues. I, yeah, really. I need compensation. Um, I I I think discovery and and. And your need to discover, uh, need to, uh, um, to me, acting is the art of self-revelation. It's it's about revealing who you are and what your relationship to the earth is right now, what you're feeling about being on this planet, this this moment, this in time, what your relationship to this earth is about and how you can bring that to your art. And that's why you become an artist, (laughs) to reflect what, you see, and know, and to quote Mister Brando, who is the best of them all, he used to say, "It's just about knowing what you see and allowing what it makes you feel, and that's what acting is about." And and once you feel the need to always to do that as an artist, actor, artist, whether you're painting, sculpting, laying brick, whatever the art form is, I don't, um, the artist is there for that to reflect what the hell we're going through right now
1: well said so what are you doing these days what's coming out what's well, in the pipeline
0: i worked on a movie that i hope he, i know he mentioned it to you Yeah. You know, cabaret the, maxime cabaret maxime i'm looking forward to seeing that i haven't seen it yet and uh i'm uh, working on a movie with a great guy i like him a lot a guy by the uh, John, uh, John, Tommy Mignone, a Brooklyn guy, um, uh, he's done 300 music videos, award-winning music video guy, and done a couple of movies, and we're working on a movie right now, with, you ready?
1: Drea. Oh, amazing. She's on the list, too. We just,
0: we shot a scene.
1: That's amazing. Drea
0: and I, in this movie. Fantastic. Uh, and we had a day, and it, I had fun with her.
1: That's great. She was, uh, Richie's niece on the show. The, the
0: she was my niece, yeah. I worked with Michael, and now I work with drea
1: Sharon Angela was in the movie Cabaret Maxime, too, right Rosalie April, yeah, yeah, she was in the yeah she did, did you have any scenes with her no, in that?
0: no, just me and Michael. My stuff is only with me and Michael, and uh two other guys uh great actor, guy from uh, Orange is the new black
1: uh you're more current than me, I can't name a single actor from I just watched the sopranos over and over again, okay. <laughs> uh Besides work, what do you you mentioned off mic? You mentioned the beach, but besides work, what do you enjoy the most? What are you most passionate about?
0: Well, sadly enough, it's been the last few years and what we're going through here in this country
1: turning uh, that around.
0: All right, we we got to let because it's it's it's. I've been absorbed, and it's like a lot of us, all Course. of us. I yeah. mean, we're fighting for our lives. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. What we're doing is we're fighting for our lives. So it's a great passion of my life, the last few years, and and writing. I've been writing. Uh, I've been working on a screenplay with uh, writing, and, and uh, I've written before. I wrote a movie a couple of years ago with my wife, and we shot it and ran into financial well, like a oh, no. right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Uh,
1: do you type or do you dictate?
0: I dictate. I can't uh, go near any of it.
1: I had nothing to do with your age or anything. I just am curious because some people like to just re- <laughs> say it out loud and have someone type it for them, and other people are very much tactile. I'm a dinosaur.
0: I confess to it. Uh, text okay. I yeah, I'm terrible.
1: Well, I'm terrible. F- we found each other. Yes, David, we did. It's been an honor and a privilege. It's great. You're you're a
0: solid guy, man. You, I, you you're one of those. You know, I said about uh uh to, um uh, Jimmy being an old soul you you are an old soul I think it's very kind no I'm serious you're older than you're thirty seven and that's probably what your attraction is to what, what you, to the sopranos uh, uh is that there's uh, maturity about you that's yeah. far beyond thirty seven I think a 37 is a baby. Yeah, because of okay. me, I was thir- I was a child at thirty-seven.
1: Yeah, how old were you when you did? Mean Twenty-eight. Streets?
0: I was a child at 37, 30- your age, and I had
1: children. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vic. I enjoyed it. Uh,